Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. On today's show, we look back at a Detroit Pistons game that was not great for the Hornets, but it was the last of four and five nights. Head coach Steve Clifford lays out what it means to be a great player, and we tell you why one Hornet may not be living up to the bill. We talk more Hornets before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. You are locked on Hornets. You are locked on, locked on, locked on Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Hornets. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan on this beautiful Wednesday morning. We are coming to you. The Hornets didn't play beautifully, but it is it is a nice morning. The, the weather's a little warmer out there because of the rain here in Charlotte. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Terry David Walker. <laughs> so Doug, I think we need to talk to our friend Justin Thomas about his fearless predictions because he felt Quotes. really, 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 really good about that game. Last Quotes. Night. Easy win. Easy win. I thought <laughs> about that times. last night. Yeah, I blamed him all night. Uh, we're just kidding, Justin, of course. Justin is our uh is our is our third third rotation guy that uh, joins us on Tuesday nights, which you absolutely should be watching us on YouTube, right, Doug? Right, yeah, the replay is up right now. Go to youtube.com forward slash Locked on Hornets and check out our live show. There, it's it's great. It's a great watch, and uh, even though it's there's... It's 100% live. It's 100% live, and we had a lot of fun. That's the whole thing. If you want to hear some Hornets talk or watch some Hornets talk and, and have some fun, that's definitely uh, what you got to do. Again, youtube.com forward slash Locked on Hornets. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team Every day, go to iTunes, search Locked On, and find week daily podcast on the NFL, golf, fantasy sports. It's the fastest growing podcast network in the world, and and it's really changed the game. I mean, the daily podcast aspect of it, the team-oriented focus aspect of it uh, is really revolutionary, and we are proud to be a part of it. Okay, I know you, you are disappointed out there in Hornets land. I know you're frustrated Let's begin in Charlotte because we must. The Hornets playing their fourth game in five days. This one against the Detroit Pistons. The Hornets last night got off to a sluggish start on both ends of the floor, but clawed their way back to take the lead on a Roy Hibbert technical free throw shortly before the half. A free throw he earned after Pistons star center Andre Drummond shoved his elbow into the back of his head. He was called for a flagrant two and ejected from the game. Unfortunately for the Hornets, that was not enough to slow the Pistons' front court. Tobias Harris had 24 points on 9 of 12 shooting. Marcus Morris added 18. And John Luer had 12 and 7 on the night. Did not expect that for sure. Kimball Walker did his best to keep the team afloat, scoring 23 points on 56% shooting, including four threes. He's on fire from beyond the arc. The Hornets were sleepy, and they fall hard to Detroit. 112 89. A lot of people wanted to make excuses for this one. Four games and five nights, so on and so forth. Head coach Steve Clifford was not one of those people. 
and he doesn't want his players to make that excuse either. And if you do that, again, you have the wrong, to me, expectations of what I think our team should be. You know, we're right there at halftime after having a totally awful start. We fought our way back into the game. You know, we've done some good things to this point. I think the two things that have to be, um, you know, concerning, which I just told the guys are this. One, we're 5-5 five and five at home, okay? And two, we're 1-3 in the second night of back-to-backs. You know, and if those things continue to happen, then, you know, we're certainly not going to be uh, in the position where we want to be, basically. So that's where we're at. That's where Coach Clifford is at with this team. He's obviously concerned about the home record. He's concerned about the second night of the back-to-back. Was fatigue the main factor for you in this game, David? Completely, Doug. And I understand what Coach Clifford is saying for sure. He's got to say that. He's the coach. He's got to get these guys in the right mind frame. But, I mean, that was just – for me, that was the overall factor. And I know you probably lean towards agreeing with Clifford a little bit on this. But I can see – I mean, just the the energy was not there. The effort to come back was there. So that was great to see. I just thought they ran out of gas. The third quarter, which has been such a strong point for this team – was a total dud last night. And, the you know, you had guys – it was reminiscent of the Memphis game. I mean, Memphis, I think, is or was with Conley a better team than than Detroit. But, I mean, there's a reason everyone loved Detroit uh, heading into the season. Of course, no Reggie Jackson, but they've got a good coach in Stan Van Gundy. And the four games and five nights, I mean, that's why the NBA is cutting down on these, right? Because they don't want these guys to be gassed out there playing that many games in, in, in five nights. So, yes, for me, it was the exhaustion. I don't think that head coach Steve Clifford has to stay, say that. I don't, I don't think that's man. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's mandatory for him to say. And I think honestly, I I don't always agree with Clifford, but I agree that they were in this game in sure. the first half and going into halftime, they were in position to win this ball game. And you had this huge, you know, chess match advantage when Andre Drummond uh, decided to. So weird. I mean, it was just so unnecessary. I know that so, yeah. Roy, Hibbert, so are, Roy Hibbert and Drummond have a history, I guess. Well, uh, what's the shock? When, when that happens now, like, I looked at that and I was like, well, he's gone. I mean, it's a shot to the head. It's a shot to the back of the head, right? After the uh, shot. Which, after the shot, it's like he's going to be kicked out. And then he's, I understand that guys are going to be shocked, you know, and surprised and, and, and who me. Uh, but I mean, come on, at this stage in the game, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be a flag or two and ejection, right? I mean, that wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a surprise. And, and I think, I think it's always shocking when a, when a big piece of a team gets ejected. It's just something we're not necessarily that's, that's used true. to seeing, but the NBA, yeah. Is, is doing a great job of cracking down on this kind of stuff. Yeah. And again, shots to the head, that's serious. And and I thought it was automatic. When it, when you have a shot oh, to the yeah. head that really has, you know, you can't, I think re- when refs look at this kind of thing, I honestly think they are looking for basketball justification. How can I justify this so I don't have to kick their best player out of the game? Because then you're really, as a referee, you are affecting the product. And so I really think they look for, can I justify this in some way that this is a basketball move? But this one, when I watched it on replay, I'm like, oh, he just he just gave him a shot to the head. That This yeah, was easy. A, See ya. An elbow to the back of the head. Have a good night. Horny. So, yeah. <laughs> he seemed like, I mean, he was clapping on the way out. Seemed like he was, was having a good time with it. But uh, the Hornets <laughs> couldn't take advantage because, well, number one, I have to give credit to the Pistons 
For, they were mm-hmm. they there were open shots for the Pistons all night because the Hornets were were a half step slow. Whether you want to call that fatigue or just or just not getting to that next level, they were a half slow half slow a half step slow on defense, and the Pistons took advantage of every almost seemingly every single opportunity that the Hornets gave them. John Luer being one of those guys. I mean, he just had a lot of energy. And and really took advantage of I'd say fatigue definitely an issue in in the front court. I, I mean I, I thought I thought that uh, Hawes and Hibbert they just they just couldn't keep up uh, with 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 what was going on and maybe Zeller a little bit too. But no, you know I think the officials were were tight with the whistles at the beginning of the game. And Detroit is a physical team and they like to pack the paint. They like to form a wall, if you will. And what kind of wall? Oh, um, uh, really? Uh, it's the biggest wall. It's the huge. They're going to make Charlotte pay for the wall. Um, it's an unbelievable wall. But they play physical inside, and you saw them basically make a bet. They said, "I bet Frank Kaminsky can't hit three pointers," and Tobias Harris was sagging off of him and making it very difficult for Kimba Walker to get into the paint. And then the officials were tight, and I thought it changed a lot of the offense early, and it continued. Uh, throughout the game and of course uh, Frank was not successful at hitting three pointers 0 for 6 in this yeah. game I believe he was 0 for 4 in the last one uh, do a little math here beep, boop, 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 boop. that's uh, 0 for 10 in his last two games from beyond the arc 1 of 11 overall only two points for Frank he when he checked out uh, in the second half I believe it was in the third quarter I mean he he smacked Smacked the hell out of a, a bench chair. I mean, he was he was pretty upset with himself and just and I you know I didn't really see fatigue in Frank. I thought he was giving everything he had to give. Just couldn't hit a shot. Just couldn't hit a shot to save his life, right? And that's continues to be a struggle from three point. But where he's been good lately is hitting those floaters, getting into the lane, and making some other points in other ways. But he wasn't able to do that last night. I mean, it was it was uh, yeah, it was pretty ugly. And the starting lineup again for Marvin Williams, of course. And it's weird because Frank Zeller and uh, I guess it was MKG maybe. He only played like 20 minutes the night before. MKG was maybe the only other guy besides Kimba that had, you know, a, a game, a fine game. 10-4 and four, uh, for MKG. It was actually a little light, I guess, in the rebounding department. But Batum and Zeller picked up some of the slack there. So, uh, yeah, Doug, I mean, just a brutal one. I mean, Kimba, of course, what else can you say? Um, he, he brought him back in that first half. And so that was a pleasant sign to see, but it, I, I was actually glad that Clifford waved the white flag once and for all and just sat him toward the end of the game. Yeah. A few guys had off nights that honestly, I felt like they were kind of expected to have off nights. Eventually Kaminsky, one of 11, as we mentioned, uh, and, Lamb. and Lamb finally fell back down to earth before injuring uh, his Ugh. knee. We'll get an update on that. It seems like a knee contusion. I mean, if it's just if it's if it's a bruise, then you know, just depending on what the news is, depending on how severe it is, that then he might be okay. Or or if it's like a a bone bruise, you know, then we're talking oh, about don't you know another stop it with the bone bruise. I'm telling ban them, cure them, find figure. <laughs> they got to go to Germany and figure out how to cure these things. Um, but then there were other guys that I expected to really step up because they were quiet against Memphis. I made this point the other the other night. You know, you you have to expect certain guys who did get a lighter load against Memphis because of the blowout to step up and have great games. I'm really looking at Nick Batum and Marco Bellinelli, and neither of those guys. Bellinelli looked slow all night, four of ten from the field, eleven points, two rebounds, two assists. 
Uh, so he gets into double digits, but I mean, defensively, uh, he was off. And then Nick Batum, three of 11 from the field, uh, two of five from beyond the arc. So he did hit a couple of threes. Uh, and as you said, 11 rebounds, five assists, those are great, but eight points. Mm-hmm. I just felt like he needed uh, to step up and have, have a great game to go alongside Kimball Walker, who was, again, you know, absolutely electric, 23 points, nine of 16 from the field. Really, I mean, he drug that team. If there was any chance of winning, Kimball was going to make it happen. Uh, just yeah. getting inside at will, you know, even, and I thought he, and by the way, I want to mention this. I thought Kimball Walker did a great job early on of recognizing, hey, the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the officials are calling this tight. And so he started to step back and, and knock down some shots. I was worried at the beginning of the game. I'm like, Kimba's going to really force this, try to get inside, try to get a call, and the Hornets are going to dig an even deeper hole. But I got to give props to Kemba for recognizing the situation and reacting to it, responding to it, and, and then knocking down some shots. So uh, he had a big game, but but others definitely struggled. What did you think about Nick Batum's defense in this game? Because there was a lot of talk about that on on our Twitter about Nick Batum's defense. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Nick is an odd defensive aspect, you know, player. I, I feel like, I feel like he got a very good rap coming out of Portland as a, as more of a lockdown defender. And I just don't think he's been that guy. I'm not sure that he is that guy uh, full time. And he hasn't been that guy, you know, certainly this season for Charlotte. I, I, I just think he's had lapses that are, I guess we're used to seeing maybe in the points column, you know what I mean, Doug, but now we're starting to see some of that on the defensive end. And again, I mean, four games and five nights is what it is. But, um, Batum, did not have a good night anywhere except on the boards last night. You mentioned he put up a few other numbers, but I mean, he was struggling defensively. I know you saw that, right? Definitely. And I think if you talk to people close to Portland, they had concerns about this throughout his career there. And we heard from um, uh, JB poster dunk uh, when he came on to talk about the French national team. And he made a big point about Nick Batum taking nights off on defense. And I thought that doesn't seem like something I hear very often, Uh, but, but I'm, I'm definitely starting to to understand a little bit more. I want to play this clip uh, from Steve Clifford after the game. Did not spe- I want to make this clear? Did not specifically mention uh, Nick Batum in in this, but I, I want to I want to roll this because I think it's I think it's very interesting. We need better individual concentration and intensity from some guys. You know, again, guys play really well one night and then. You look out there 45 seconds in and you can say, like, he's not ready. You know, it just doesn't work in this league. You know, it doesn't. None of the great players play like that. None of them. None of them. That's the misconception about the NBA animal. The best players play hard every night. The best players play hard every night. They're from Steve Clifford. And I'm not going to speculate who he was talking about there but I will say this he did say 45 seconds into the game and he did mention great players and in my mind there are only three potentially great players on this team Michael Kidd Gilchrist Kemba Walker and Nick Batum in the past two games I feel like Kemba Walker and Michael Kidd Gilchrist have been giving it their absolute all I don't think there's a question on that and that leaves Nick Batum who I felt like and I, I pointed this out on Twitter. Go look at Tobias Harris on the fancynewsstats.nba.com video box score page. Go check out Tobias Harris's last field goal in the third quarter. 449 left on the clock. It was a, a big moment in the game because it was as the game was starting to slip away and Detroit was really starting to uh, take over and, and, and start to finish the Hornets off. And uh, Nick Batum just let Tobias Harris drive by him. 
And if that's a smaller, quicker guard, if he had switched on to a point guard, I I may, you know, sort of give him a pass there. But I mean, he he just he was a matador. He just opened the door. And it's Tobias Harris. I, I'm just it's frustrating, David, because I know that Nick Batum has the ability to be a lockdown defender. I've seen it. I've seen it in a Hornets uniform. I saw it in the playoffs. And yeah, he's not a yeah. It's not like he's a bad defender um, at all, right? I mean, he can defend. No, it's just a level of focus and it's a level of consistency, and especially on an off shooting night on three of eleven shooting. I feel like you have to contribute defensively if you get a sense. Hey, this is not my night from the field. Then. I mean, I know he does things in terms of moving the ball. You know, it's yeah. just it's just frustrating. I'm just sort of voicing. I feel like the same frustrations that we're we're hearing from from you guys out there. So, yeah, I mean that's a good point, and it's tough to criticize Nick for not chipping in in other ways because, like we said, he fills the stat sheet up right. Like he gets the rebounds, he keeps the ball moving, like you said, he chips in a few assists. But people do get upset when he's not scoring 18 points a night, um, which he's not going to do. Uh, but then when you couple that with giving things up on defense, it's going to be doubly frustrating. So we get it, I think, um, and I think Clifford gets it too, right? I think part of his frustration is he sees that potential and it's weird to use potential with Batum has been in the league so long and has played professional basketball for so long but I think but on a larger scale but, you're, but yeah to, no to what you're team, talking about you're talking about the potential to be a great player you know team, that, that's right? that's a that's, and, a, that's team, a completely right? yeah that's a completely different thing potential yeah. potential to be an NBA player is one thing potential to be a great NBA player is another level that again they paid him the money that says you you can be a great NBA player. He has to go out there and prove it. And Clifford laid laid the baseline for what a great player is. They play yeah. hard every single night. And so that's a great point, right? They didn't pay that hundred million dollars for him to get seventeen, eighteen points a night, but they probably did pay that hundred million to get maximum effort uh, on a mostly night in night out basis, right? And so that's what he's not seeing. And it, to be honest, Doug, I mean, it, it, was it just last night? I mean, we've seen that. I've seen it a little bit over the last week or so. Yeah, I mean, no. certainly in this four game stretch, I totally agree. And it really points to Marvin Williams and and his. Uh, we know about the shooting; he struggled to shoot all season. But there were some plays that that Nick Batum let go, or some issues with pick and roll defense that Marvin has shown an ability to recover and help and 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 help solve. You know, when yeah. things start to break down, when 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 matchups get weird, Marvin Williams has an ability to to cover a lot of ground very quickly and, and get a block. And missing him, the Hornets are missing that. So something to pay attention to, certainly. We'll keep our eye on it. Uh, definitely let us know what you think on Twitter at Locked On Hornets or email us buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We want to know what you're seeing out there. We, we need your eyeballs because we know you're all watching. We know you're watching the game. So let us know what you think uh, on Twitter or email. Okay, got to get to this. Uh, some national attention for the Hornets this season, including our friends over at Dunked on podcast with Nate Duncan and uh, Locked On Warriors host Danny LaRue. Nate and Danny are checking in with the Hornets, beginning with a look at how the Hornets stack up with the rest of the league. This is a this is a really good listen. Take a uh, take a listen. 
Where are they in terms of the league rankings? 11th in offense, 9th in defense, 84% chance of making the playoffs, and I was amused, a 1% chance of winning the title. Yeah, I think they have been better than their record, especially when you consider the injuries. They are insanely dependent on Kemba Walker, though, and I don't know how sustainable his performance is. He's shooting 41% on threes. He's also third in the league, taking 4.8 pull-up threes per game at 35%. Now, that's good enough that you can't go under on him anymore, and that, again, is really open things up for him as well uh but yeah if he if his jumper stops falling i think they could really struggle to score he also has been outstanding in the clutch i looked at this in the middle of the week last week uh so it's a little out of date but in nine clutch games 39 percent usage 70 percent true shooting in the clutch they had gone five and four in such games now they're six and five after these last two knicks games uh but he has been unbelievable but the depth pieces uh, other than than zeller and batum you'd be hard pressed to point to anyone else really who's playing well on this team other than those three guys and last year they had you know courtney lee played well for them and he wasn't there the whole season of course jeremy offensively lynn, i should say i think that i think there are guys playing well defensively sure. but offensively yeah jeremy lynn last year was a huge bright spot he's gone you know sitting on the bench in brooklyn because of his hamstring injury and their center depth is a major concern you know that was something that ha- we we've talked about how steve clifford has been able to you know make lemonade out of everything but he hasn't been able to make lemonade out of roy hibbert yet yeah roy i think he may be about done he is still protecting the rim reasonably well but offensively just does not have it uh and he is has the second worst defensive rating on the team because he can't move uh he is getting on the offensive glass a little bit uh which is the only way that they're actually getting any offensive rebounds when he's not in there they've got Hawes and Kaminsky guys who just want to space out so with that they're only getting 15 percent of offensive rebounds I mean that would be I mean the Hawks I think were like 20 percent last year and that was the lowest in NBA history I mean when you get down to that level like 15 percent there's a baseline level of offensive rebounds that you kind of have to get it's really hard to be a good offense if you're not at least getting a few um Marvin Williams is shooting pretty poorly as I said, he is at 34% from the field, 34% on threes. And then Michael Kidd Gilchrist, remember how like this might be the year that his jumper was going to come around? Not so. I don't, I'm not sure that year is ever going to happen, even though I still like him a lot as a player. Yeah, he is at age 22, but he's at 32%, eight out of 25 on twos outside the paint. He has taken a mere two three pointers, both from the corners, missed them both. And then two out of 15 in the paint outside of the restricted area and then shooting about average. Uh, 59% in the restricted area. And he, a lot of these games, he actually has not even been closing. I think just due to his offense, they need his defense. I mean, like against the Knicks, he even like wasn't playing down the stretch. It was Batum who was guarding Carmelo Anthony. If MKG isn't out there to guard Carmelo, what's the point? But I guess if he just still can't shoot at all, it's going to continue to be an issue and he is going to have to not close some games. Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue on the Dunked On podcast. Find them on iTunes. Uh, David, it sounds like Nate and Danny want to play a game of phaser stays with MKG. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, it's interesting. A lot of hot takes. Not hot takes. I mean, a lot of interesting thoughts in there. One of them was the Hibbert thought you know, yeah. that I've been looking at is that is this experiment going to be the first one that we've seen recently that's not going to go well because uh, the Hibbert Reclamation Project you know, it's had its moments. It got I think off to such a good start, that Milwaukee got, yeah, game, and, and the, and the injury threw it. everything off, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing, though. He's been out. So, I mean, it's, it's still kind of early in the season for him. 
defensively has given some things, but they're 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 kind of right on the offensive end. He's just not providing much of anything. Yeah, he only now, got, I don't know he, how much they expected him to, but he's, he's not there. Yeah, he only got uh, 12 minutes in this last one, one of two from the field, not very active offensively. Steve Clifford did mention after the game they, they are still working on figuring out how to get Roy Hibbert more involved in the game as a whole. So maybe look for that over the next few games, and, and we'll keep an eye on it as well. The other interesting thing from that is the – a loss of Jeremy Lin that Danny LaRue mentioned and the Hornets replace him with Ramon Sessions. And I've actually, I've been thinking about this a lot, David, what, what Ramon means to this team, what his numbers mean. And, you know, he has a very high assist to turnover ratio. He's not making a lot of mistakes. And I think it's a fallacy to go. And, and I probably contributed to this fallacy a little bit, but I think it's a fallacy to, to look at Ramon's numbers and then compare him directly to what Jeremy Lin gave this team last season. And, you know, before the season, I compared their numbers and said, you know, they're doing a lot of similar things. Watch out. Ramon could replace Lin's role on this team well enough. Well, he's not doing that. We, we know that. The offense has not uh, been, a, uh, been a huge factor for Ramon. But I really love, A, how he doesn't make mistakes. B, how he keeps the... Uh, consistency in terms of going towards the rim when Kimba leaves the game. And I, I feel like Ramon really does a great job of organizing the offense. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he doesn't make mistakes. So he's not, you know, he's not giving, he's not bringing the offense out of rhythm. He's not allowing the other team to get opportunities on the other end of the floor. You know, seven points, three assists, modest numbers for Ramon Sessions. And, you know, we, we know about his defensive struggles as well. But I just think they have to go find that Jeremy Lin impact from a, a Jeremy Lamb or a Marco Bellinelli. Not necessarily yeah. – it's just not one-to-one. I just think this is a different bench makeup from last season. So don't, don't – I think Ramon is fine. That's all I'm saying. Um, people are on Ramon Sessions. Been, You're on I've Ramon been, Sessions. Yeah, yeah. You're one I of those mean, people. Been, I've been kind of frustrated with them, um, more or less the drives and the lack of making baskets on those drives. I mean, career lows and field goal percentage and free throw percentage um, is a little concerning. And he hasn't made mistakes, per se, like you said. I think he's been steady as a point guard as a whole, but some of these shot selections are not great. Um, I don't really want him shooting that many three-pointers either. And right, but so, I think steady is what that, what I'm saying is. I mean, not everyone's going yeah. to be electric off the bench. I think he is is settling into a steady role on the bench and and allowing for guys like Jeremy Lamb and Marco Bellinelli to take on that that electric role. That's what I'm saying. On oh, of scoring wise, oh for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's not he's not going to provide that scoring. Look, he's in there to 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 tread water. I mean until Kemba gets back in. I mean, at most times, right? I mean, because Kemba's going to play 33 minutes a night. Uh, Sessions is in there to keep things steady until Kemba can get back in there and, and keep his scoring going. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. Yep. All right. That's all the time we have for this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks so much for listening. Please uh, go to youtube.com forward slash Locked on Hornets and watch the latest episode of Locked on Hornets live, including the showdown with Calamity James. And she gives you a a look at some of the big matchups that are coming up for the Hornets. So get prepared for the week ahead. I mean, the Hornets have opportunities, David. Let's end the show on a positive note with the Mavericks. The Mavericks yep, coming yep. up, the Wolves coming up. They have opportunities to get 
to get things back on track. And they'll have yeah. they have the day off today, so they they will get rested. So every it's it's uh, guys, it's okay. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Doug, I'm glad you brought that up, and maybe we can dive into this a little bit tomorrow with no game. But look, Dallas at home, Minnesota at home, at Dallas Monday, revenge game next Wednesday in Detroit. Uh, no, I'm sorry, at home, Detroit at home, and then Orlando to round it out before they go on that awful, awful, awful uh, road trip starting December 10th in Cleveland to kind of round out these three weeks. I mean, th- this next week is is huge. They have to get a couple wins. Detroit coming back to Charlotte, and this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're there, give us a five star review and help hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions, your thoughts to buzzbuzz at lockedonhornets.com. We're back again tomorrow. As David said, we'll give you a preview of the week and the weekend ahead and get into some themes that we've been seeing in the past week. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Don't worry.